You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Leviticus 19 verses 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Would you help us to hear your word well tonight? For some of us here, this is a sensitive topic, but Lord, I pray for your help now by your spirit and by your word that we'd be able to look at this topic with a gospel lens. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine this. It's late at night and the air is dry and uncomfortably warm. And you're uncertain of what is about to unfold. It's now or never. You make your way quietly down to the bank of the river and board a small boat. This boat is not much bigger than this stage and crammed in it is 174 desperate souls trying to flee a country that has been recently impacted by a national military conflict. The atmosphere is intense filled with anxiety and fear. You're leaving family and friends. You have little supplies and not much more than the clothes on your back. This is your chance for a better life, but if the nation's government catch you, you risk torture in prison. As the boat starts to move, fear fills your mind. You've heard of real accounts of pirates at sea, raping women and children, killing people on board and throwing their bodies over. Another thought comes to mind, the countless stories of drownings and boats going into storms never to return. But you remind yourself again, it's now or never. This may be your only chance for a new life in another country, free from oppression and the impact of war. As the boat starts to move in open water, you hear whispers and mutters, but then it returns back to silence. It's almost as if 
the people with you know the reality of the situation. What's that? This is day one on the boat. But the real question arises, will we make it? This isn't made up. This is the story of my parents fleeing a country ruled by communism after the Vietnam War. If we haven't met yet, my name is Don, and uh, before I get into it, I need to get something out of the way. Uh, Luke and the Melbourne West team did not call me up and say, Don, you're a person of colour. Do you want to preach on asylum seekers and refugees? They did not say that. Your church team is not racist. In, in fact, probably one of the more ethnically diverse in uh, the City on a Hill movement. Luke might be feeling even a little bit outnumbered. Um, please pray for him. But this is a topic that I did raise my hand up for. And for me, preaching this is a mixture of conflicting, encouraging, but also personal. But my hope here today is to hear and see what God might have to say through his word on asylum seekers and refugees. So as we continue on in this left and right series, we, we have to ask, how does the Bible speak into this issue? How, as Christians, are we to respond to refugees and asylum seekers? To start off with, I think the first point of call is to look at some key terms. First, the definition of asylum seekers. An asylum seeker is someone who is seeking protection from violence and oppression from another country, requesting sanctuary, but has yet to be processed and verified legally as a refugee. This moves us on to the definition of refugees. Refugees are people who have fled war, violence, conflict or persecution and have crossed an international border to find safety in another country. They often flee with little more than the clothes on their backs, leaving behind homes, possessions, jobs and loved ones. But what does scripture say about those traveling from place to place without a home nation? Seeking refuge and are vulnerable themselves. Well, to start, we have to remember that in Genesis, Adam and Eve created humanity, was given an ultimate paradise and refuge in Eden. And as we know, when sin came into the world, even in the first book of the Bible, we see people wandering, needing a safe place to dwell in a broken world. The Old Testament uses the term sojourner a multitude of times to describe an alien, stranger, foreigner, or a dependent newcomer dwelling amongst God's people. They're usually described in Scripture as vulnerable, needing shelter, food or protection. 
So not only does God act when his people are in trouble or in a situation like Egypt, he acts towards sojourners of other nations with love. In the law of Moses, we see one of the most beautiful responses to sojourners in God's community. They're given a refuge and adopted into the community. Let's look at that now in the way that God cares for sojourners, those who are refugee-like in the Old Testament. Because there's a wealth of Old Testament laws and ethics that instruct God's people to care for strangers that live among or approach their lands. Look at Exodus twenty-two twenty-one. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Or in the next chapter, in 23.9, you shall not oppress the sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Are you seeing the pattern in the first two books of the Old Testament? How God's reminding of them that they were once sojourners, needing refuge and escape from their experience in Egypt. We haven't even got to the Israelite leaders or the prophets or even Jesus yet. As we heard in the Bible reading, Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him. As yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. Move over, United Nations, and Red Cross. God was working ages ago. But wait, there's more. Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, or gather the gleanings after your harvest, You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. It might feel like we're carbo-loading for an OT marathon here, but the next passage is something that Christians tend to glance over. It's important to see. Sojourners are invited into Sabbath communal rest and worship as well. Look at Deuteronomy 5.14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord. You shall do no work, you or the sojourner, within your gates. Or later in 16 verse 11, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow among you, at the place the Lord your God will choose. And importantly, we see that same use of the word, similar use of the word exile through the prophetic books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and the the prophets, especially when the Jewish people themselves become strangers in a foreign land. This is why we need to look back at God's past ways in the way that he treats a vulnerable foreigner especially when they themselves become exiles in biblical history. But what I'm about to tell you might shock you. 
I didn't always think in this biblically-minded way when it came to the care of strangers. You see, during my late childhood years, uh, childhood and teenage years in a post-9-11 world, when I saw the two towers in America fall, I felt the fear of terrorism. It all started in the early 2000s. I would spend my time recess and lunch reading the newspaper, especially the politics and the international news section. I was a newspaper nerd. I would have been the last person you would have wanted to talk to at your birthday party. I was once that guy you overheard at social events. Oh no, Don's talking about politics again. Quick, gag him and kick him out. But in New Raid, I spiced things up. I started to write political parodies and satirical commentaries on international news and distributed it out accordingly to my classmates in Year 8. I was into it. I was invested in international news, especially the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. I especially started to think through the impact on Australian immigration when it came to asylum seekers and refugees. And I started to agree with political analysts and politicians that were saying up to the late 2000s, stop the boats, shut the gates. To summarise my political position as a teenager, allowing more asylum seekers to migrate, I believed would have a negative cultural and economic impact on Australia. I believed in discouraging queue-jumping, fairness for those entering through more slower and standard means, or that of more open borders correlating to encouraging the abuses that tended to occur in people smuggling. And at the baseline of that was the fear of those pretending Criminals pretending to be asylum seekers. I believed that countries in the West, like Australia, needed to mandate stronger stances in protecting the, the country's safety, culture and economy. This might be a sad and insensitive way of putting it, but I was Asian on the outside and politically turning into Pauline Hanson on the inside I shouldn't have said that. Some of you younger ones might say to me, please explain. I'm sorry, another reference. But in all seriousness, I, I started to believe that stopping the boats was the best solution for immigration, regardless of how desperate these people were. And I know what you might be thinking. Some of you, it comes to mind, Don, you're one confused son of a boat person. Your parents literally fleed on a boat, got away from that oppression with the bare minimum, no guarantees of safety, 
leaving family and friends for a better life. And you're going to say that Australian immigration policy is wise, compassionate, and considerate on the basis of national and cultural and economic security. It makes you think, how do you think Jesus would have responded to me? Because we've seen the way that God's care of sojourners and exiles are in the Old Testament. When we come to Jesus, his care only intensifies for sojourners and strangers through his ministry and teaching. I mean, take a look at the care of the poor and the suffering of different nations in Matthew 25, 34. After separating the sheep and the goats to two sides, verse 34 says, the king will say to those, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty or give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The context of this passage is not preaching works over grace, but the care of strangers and the poor. And I know I'm guilty of not living this commandment out in my own local community, let alone the foreigner, the vulnerable foreigner from other nations. But Jesus goes further in compassion and hospitality. Look at Luke 14, 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. But you might say to me, Jesus didn't have to deal with human corruption or terrorism or border security issues. To that, I'll start with, I think you're right. I mean, think of a couple of examples. Number one, governments have responsibilities to serve the people, and a part of that is to manage dangers and risks. For example, that of discerning criminals that come in with no records, or the challenges of processing languages and education and healthcare for asylum seekers. Taking in people has real risks. This was the case of those abusing more open-door policies in France, which resulted in the Paris bombings in 2015. But secondly, how would 
Jesus engaged the complex social impact on the ground level. After all, there are domestic and local impacts too. I know from my personal background that many Vietnamese men that came over fell into all sorts of crime, gangs, addiction, and abusive behavior. Forgive me for this, but I, I had a prison guard friend who worked in Geelong who saw this reality frequently. I was a little cheeky in my, in, in my 20s. I, I used to say to him, have you met my cousin yet? What about my second cousin? No, not yet. Ah, oh, don't worry. Chances are you'll see me in there soon. And he would say to me, Don, I'd rather not. I see so many people with your last name already in there. I'm deliberately trying to soften the blow there. But there's a serious truth regarding a lot of the Vietnamese circles that came during the 80s. Some of the children, especially those of my age, sons of refugees, fell into all sorts of broken relationships, gambling, mental health issues. So how would Jesus encourage Christians to respond on the community front? Maybe he'd encourage his church to start ESL programs for those attempting to start a new life, sending food, bare basics, even spare COVID rat tests to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Or just like Australians dealing with life adjustment, family issues, maybe he would encourage Christians to support and establish better programs for community life, better crisis support for those coming in as asylum seekers and refugees. After all, Jesus can empathise with this. His own parents had to flee from Egypt to protect him as a baby. And throughout his ministry, he ministered to Gentiles and foreigners caught in deep cycles of sin and destructive lifestyles. But this brings us to the question of how we should respond. Personally, I was challenged by Christians, but it was a long journey. It took me to my early 20s, deeply reflecting on my own Australian grandparents who adopted my mother in at 17-year-old to a family of five children. But this kind of understanding is not unfamiliar to the New Testament church, is it? Look at the opening lines of 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect exiles, which could be translated strangers or sojourners, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The context of Paul's caring use of exiles is that of Christians that have just joined God's family and are fleeing because of their faith in Christ. 
But how do you think the Holy Spirit through Peter would speak into our modern times? How would he respond to asylum seekers and the connection that can come with people smuggling? I think he would encourage some of us to look at the complexity, taking time to research the issues that are multifaceted. After all, anyone in this room could do a Google search and see some of the dark realities that comes with people smuggling. The tendency to take advantage of desperate people fleeing for their lives. Watch any serious documentary on this, but go further than that. Talk to people who deal with border control, who've seen civil wars, law enforcement, who see the front lines of this issue. Some of us might have legal or law enforcement backgrounds that can listen and speak into this issue. But how about offshore detention centres? As much as the immigration and national security issue is complex, I think the apostles and faithful Christians of church history would be ashamed of the conditions in detention centres. I mean, did you hear of the Tampa incident in 2001, weeks before 9-11, or the children overboard incident, where asylum seekers were accused of recklessly throwing their children overboard to manipulate secure passage, rather the actual reality is them trying to save them from a sinking vessel. You see, as a Christian, when I finally grasped the Tampa crisis involving Afghan, 400 Afghan refugees sent away from Australian waters, denied basic medical care, or the incorrect narrative of the children overboard incident in the early 2000s, when I reflected on this as a Christian, I genuinely grieved. I was once a major advocate for stop the boats. But as I read scripture and I met Jesus and I prayed through these complexities, my perspective changed dramatically. And to use this issue as a bargaining chip in political campaigns during election time became distasteful. But as Christians, how do we engage in this? Well, firstly, it comes to mind that we need to be praying for our governments, as Romans 13 states. It's complex, it's multifaceted, but secondly, praying for wisdom that is not separate from love. And what's the basis of such love? It's the redeeming reminder of the destination of restored humanity in Christ Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we may be challenged to reflect on what we can do today or for future generations of strangers and vulnerable foreigners. But in the last 10 years, I believe that Australians have seen glimpses of wisdom with love in this area. I've seen time and time again Christians inside the secular sphere and in Christian ministry use their gifts, whether it be international law, medicine, education or generosity to engage care of asylum seekers and refugees in desperate situations. After all, Jesus has reminded us of the government's serious duty and call to serve the nations well. And I could be wrong, but I imagine in our modern times, with better wisdom than I could ever come up with, God's Spirit may be encouraging Christians to work inside of these spheres of authorities to consider better advocating for better funding, for things like translators, legal teams, building immigration infrastructure to take people in, invested professionals in caring and processing asylum seekers well with wisdom. After all, over the last 20 years, Rather than considering a long-term plan, Australia's spent billions of dollars in detention centres, some with notorious living conditions. That's why some of us Christians may land more on the left, seeing that we are responsible for representing a God of compassion rather than those that are trying to abuse more open-door policies. This is why it's important to look at Jesus' life towards the vulnerable foreigner and the way that Christians in the past have responded to similar situations. To close, some of you might be thinking, Don, Conclude with 10 ways to advocate for asylum seekers already. Or maybe you're convicted to walk into an asylum seeker resource centre and learn and help with current situations. Or raise local, consistent awareness to your writing to your local MP regarding housing proposals or funding for refugee support programs. Or maybe earlier you were like, no, 10 ways to not advocate for asylum seekers. Maybe you're feeling that you are challenged to look into the complexity of processing an asylum seeker from that status to refugee status. You can talk to those in law 
education and border protection. I encourage you to do this research well, but that's not my main takeaway point for today. I hate to disappoint, but if we don't have Christ at the centre in exploring this issue, wherever we land, left or right, anywhere in between, we're vulnerable to extremes. It's by far not straightforward. And to those who understand these realities, I pass no judgment if you differ to my views. But on the other side, neither do I encourage anyone to shut down or attack anyone who has a different perspective on asylum seekers and refugees. But if our ultimate goal as a Christian is to protect our nation from terrorism or the Australian way of life, homegrown jobs, economic pressure, we fall short of God's call to us from Genesis to Jesus or God's care of the Gentiles of the past to the call of the church today. What's that call? Compassion and the common good for those who are hurting and needing refuge. And as Australians, we should be challenged in this. We currently take in about 10,000 refugees a year. But to compare to Germany is frightening. During the Syrian conflict, Germany took in one million Syrian refugees in that year alone. I think on recent times, Russia and the Ukraine conflict, hundreds and thousands fleeing to neighbouring countries, international support coming in from Christians from all over the world, whether it be financial, medical, or people on the ground. But we do need to discern the danger of losing a healthy perspective. If opening our borders is the ultimate goal, especially with no long-term plan involving wisdom and discernment, we risk the other extreme. We risk being unwise and less discerning of our ultimate call as a Christian, the call of the gospel, because to home refugees is not our ultimate calling. And we have to remember gaining refugee status and starting and maintaining a family does not solve matters of the heart or deep sin issues. I know of Christians like myself who have concluded this as the ultimate endpoint. It isn't. To begin with, we need to remember that Refugees and asylum seekers are more like you and I. They're made in the image of God. And just like the refugee, we need to find our ultimate home and safety in Jesus. My Australian grandparents knew this. Not only did they advocate for several families, they prayed for my mother and my entire family 
for more than 35 years to come to faith. I know that's a long time. I can barely stay awake for more than five minutes in prayer, but those prayers were largely answered. My grandfather passed away of a brain tumour before he could see the eternal life that came out of that decision to adopt. But more than that, to pray and share the gospel with my mother. But the story doesn't end there. His wife, my grandmother, though she passed away two weeks ago, did see my mother and her foster grandchildren like myself come to faith. But isn't that a bigger reminder when engaging this issue? Because Gloria Furman says this, Home is not our refuge. God is. Home is not our refuge. God is. So before we launch into discussion or even disagreement on immigration policies, or on the other hand, if you're bursting at the seams in how to act for poorly treated asylum seekers, no matter where you land, Remember this, look at this issue with the gospel lens. For us, it might be helpful to look at four gospel aspects. Number one, before we knew Christ, we were blind, broken, and without a true spiritual home. But at the same time, this sovereign God, even through suffering, his ways being higher than our ways, allows refugees to suffer in this broken world. And if you're a Christian in this service, remember that your very faith and life is by God's undeserved grace, that you were chosen when you had no right to a citizenship, to a kingdom that lasts forever. And this cross is for all people. It's an invitation to enter into the safest household and refuge at all for those with a nation to call home and those without. Paul says this to the churches in Ephesus and that sums it up with tremendous beauty. Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I know I love the Geelong footy team, but that's a better win here. I know some of us will differ on this topic, but I know... Christian refugee parents, like my mother, would hear this final verse with tremendous glory that is hard to bring to apt words. Romans 8.15, you did not receive a spirit to fall, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption 
as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray, church. Dear Lord, thank you for your undeserved love that you pour out to those who know you and those who do. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, encourage us, challenge us to be moved to take better care of uh, those who are not from our nation. Father, speak through your gospel into this issue of asylum seekers and refugees and help us to speak your gospel and act your gospel to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.